everybody, welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited when people I know meet a road and talk to a couple times, come on the podcast. So my guest today is Renee. Renee, listen, we've been parring a couple times over the summer. So welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you, Carrie. I'm well, thanks. I'm well. Happy to be here. Awesome. All right. So why don't you tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are, Caribbean country you represent, what you do, and all that good stuff. Sure. Well, um, my name is Renee Kendall. I am an attorney. I am a native to New York, specifically Brooklyn, a descendant of Trinidadian migrant parents, uh, so hence the Caribbean-American connection there, and uh, deeply connected and committed to the Caribbean community uh, based here in New York. So that's me in a nutshell. I have been in practice for a couple of years now, but have been a member of the legal community here in New York for quite some time. Uh, launched a solo practice a couple of years ago, focused primarily on estate planning, real estate matters, and assisting people with advocacy matters. All right, cool. We're going to get into that. Renee, you really fulfill your parents' dreams to pick from the top five career paths. I mean, you know, lawyer, <laughs> doctor, you know. <laughs> yes. So yes. tell me what it's like growing up second generation to Trinidadian immigrants in New York City. Tell me what was like that like. Oh wow. So although I am born and raised here in New York, I did spend a part of my formative years in Trinidad. So I think from the ages of maybe two to almost eight years old, I spent in Trinidad. So that is where my first memories would have formed. That's where I learned to walk and talk and all of that. So it is poured into my foundation. When I came to New York, it was almost like I was a new person. It was almost like I was a migrant, even though I was born right here in New York. So um, many aspects of American culture are being introduced to me for the first time at the age of eight, which is sort of good because it means I remember most of it, right? So I remember what New York uh, felt like and sounded like. And we're talking, uh, I don't want to date myself, but let's say Reagan was president. And it was a unique experience, um, I think, uh, amongst my peers, because at that time I didn't have as many Caribbean peers or Caribbean American peers. Uh, one distinct thing I remember my parents saying uh, growing up is that outside is America. You come into this house, we're in Trinidad, and what that essentially meant was that we were, uh, you know, under sort of Trinidad rules, right? Like my my parents were migrants and they maintained and retained lots of their customs, heritage practices. Uh, my parents spoke with thick Trinidadian accents, although they lived and worked here in America. The values they believed they shared from their parents, my grandparents, are what they used to raise us, although they were doing it in this environment. Uh, so it was... Um, a little bit different for me, I think, than some of my peers. There were the times where what we were learning outside, and even sometimes in classrooms, was in direct conflict with what we were taught and, and knew to be the right thing from our home life. So that's a little bit about what, what it was like to grow up as a Caribbean American here in Brooklyn, New York, where sometimes the environment wasn't as friendly and sometimes the experiences inside our home and outside our home 
weren't as cohesive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you made where I think a lot of people have experiences being born here and spent time growing up in the Caribbean. I know I've I've done that to my daughter. She spent at least a year living in Jamaica, right? And then I think that because we're in a place where everybody is flags everywhere, people don't remember when there was a time when it wasn't flags everywhere. And right. I understand that I moved to New York at a time when everyone wanted to be Jamaican and have flags everywhere. Uh, so nice. I, I do, I think I want to do an episode that explores before Brooklyn was Caribbean, you know, because yes. it wasn't always this <laughs> no. like representative and proud out loud, you yeah. know, type thing. No. So um, let me write that down before I forget it. Um, because mm-hmm. um I feel like in our conversations, unknowingly, we misrepresent that Brooklyn has always been this way. So people who do not live in the New York area or Brooklyn or anywhere else on the Northeast might feel like they're in the Midwest or in some other state. And it's not like represent your flag. Then, (laughs) you you know, it's like "Mm, something's wrong. But, you know. It wasn't always the case for us here on the um, East Coast. So go ahead. Definitely not. Um, I remember, you know, migrating from an environment like Trinidad. You're eight years old. We wore uniforms to school. We wore ribbons in our hair. And um, I, I was a child who loved ribbons, you know, and I loved to tell my mom how I wanted my hair. And I remember coming home after we migrated to New York and coming home from school crying, telling my mom, don't put ribbons in my hair anymore. The children make fun of me. They torture me, right? Um, so this thing that I was once so proud of, this thing that was a, a symbol, right, of, of who you were, so to speak, because remember you had, we did ribbons to match our uniforms. We didn't have uniforms in New York. So I did ribbons to match whatever I was wearing. I probably looked absolutely ridiculous, like probably a bit like a clown. But without my knowing it, it was carrying my heritage, and so I learned to hide that. I also uh, masked my accent because, again, I learned to speak in Trinidad, right? So by the time I came here, I had a thick Trinidadian accent. Um, and the kids were unkind as, as they were. They didn't mean anything by it. They were kids. Um, they didn't have a context for me. They didn't have a context for the ribbons and, and the way I spoke and the foods I ate, you know. So, you know, what was born out of that was, you know, torture. <laughs> Yeah, I think, man, we definitely have to go into that in a <laughs> in another episode about the accent and before yes. or before we became normalized. And there's still ways right. to go, but we weren't normalized for a very long no, time. No, so no. thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. And definitely it's going to be a list for 2023 for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So... One of the reasons why I've asked Renee to be on the podcast is because Renee has listened to the podcast and she heard the episode of me talking about my dad. And I was like, this is perfect. So if you're new to listening to the podcast, a few months ago, um, I talked about my dad passing in Jamaica and how challenging it was to plan a funeral from the U.S. in Jamaica. And having 
to deal with the affairs of a deceased person from afar. And one of the things that I had said at the end of the episode was don't wait until a family member passes. If you have family back in the Caribbean, wherever that is, get to planning, you know, whatever that is, you got to look about your affairs. And so as I was talking to Renee, I was like, I should have you come on the podcast. So before we get to that specific thing, let's talk about exactly your company, what your company Mm -hmm. does and all that good stuff. Sure. So in, I want to say maybe 2019, we created this company, at least conceptually, and named it Caribbean Legal Solutions. And our goal in that case was to connect the Caribbean Americans residing here in the United States uh, and really out anywhere in the world outside of the Caribbean with attorneys that were based in the Caribbean. We found that there was a need for people to find reliable, trustworthy uh, attorneys based in, in many times, their home countries. And that because so many of us have migrated, you know, 10, 20, 30 years we've been here, but we retain connection to the countries, either through land ownership or family relationships or traveling back and forth. But in some way, um, shape or form, you have a connection to the country that necessitates the need for an attorney. So we found that there isn't a whole lot out there in terms of resources. Uh, When clients don't use a company like ours, they're using the word of mouth network or they're jumping online and doing, you know, uh, using a search engine to find an attorney. And we just figured there has to be a better way because through the word of mouth network um, or a search engine, you're not getting true vetting, right? Um, nor are you getting a sense of you know, accountability or, or peace of mind. And we wanted to create something that would give our clients just that. One, it took away the need to go searching, right? You contact our company. I almost immediately from listening to you um, know what you need and have a person in mind for you, right? And where where I don't, I do the search. And I'd like to think that, you know, my searching or I work with a team of attorneys is probably slightly different than, you know, just using word of mouth or jumping online because we are attorneys that hire attorneys, right? Um, Our methods are slightly different. Our terminology is slightly different. So we thought that would be value add to our clients where we're reducing their work, right? And taking out a lot of guesswork out of it uh, because we're doing it. We're standing in that gap between where you are here, let's say you're in New York and let's say a Guyana and a Grenada. When clients come to us, they have a name and a face and a person that they can interact with, whether it, you know they physically walk in and speak with me um, or they're talking to me uh, over the phone. It is for them, I think, a lot better, uh, a lot easier sell <laughs> to hire me than it is to hire someone abroad. So um, we created the company for that and and, and many other purposes. We have since evolved because we found that many clients, in addition to needing referrals to uh, attorneys uh, outside of the country, many of them asked us if we had someone right here, right, for their landlord-tenant matter, for their immigration matter, divorce, whatever it may be. And I I did not get focused on um, doing local referrals because I felt like there was just so many companies that did it, so many avenues, right? Uh, But we found that clients appreciated that aspect. 
So there was this need for local referrals. We increased our local uh, network of attorneys as well. And um, here we are. Awesome. So what kind of services are people coming to you for, not from a local perspective, but particularly, you know, the ones back to the region and how far is the reach? What countries are you currently servicing? I could probably tell you about 90% of it falls into two categories, land and around an estate matter. Someone died. Someone died here in the United States and has property or fears or beneficiaries in the Caribbean, or someone died in the Caribbean and the person is located, the beneficiary or the surviving loved one is here in the United States. So that's one. And then oftentimes people um, own property or should own property, but they don't necessarily know where the deed is, or they want to, they're putting their affairs in order, hopefully and prayfully, that's what they're doing. And they're seeking to have that uh, piece of property left to someone in a will um, or to deeding it over to someone else. That's a bulk of what's done. We then have a couple of people who um, need to necess- sometimes get divorced from someone who's in a Caribbean country that they can't find. Right. Um, so we have those matters that those come up every now and then. We've had one or two persons who have. Um, this one is a um, one of these unpleasant <laughs> matters, but I'll share it. Um, sometimes we've had children that live in the Caribbean and the parent is seeking um, child maintenance from a person that lives in another country. Uh, we assist with things like that as well. So as you can see, it sort of runs the gamut, but a primary source of our business comes from land matters and uh, estate matters. Um, as far as our reach, we do quite a bit of work. or get quite a bit of requests for uh, attorneys in Jamaica. We've done work in Jamaica, Trinidad, Guyana, Grenada, Barbados. Recently, I did just one matter in Dominica. Um, Dominican Republic, and St. Vincent. All right. So land matters, estate matters. I think those are the typical things, those outliers around getting child support or divorce. Interesting. They're unique, but I do tend to find that a lot of issues, even before I was living in the U.S., there was always some family argument or mix up about land and dead left, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 So so it's like, <laughs> yes, then all of this comes part of, I shouldn't say all of it, because it's not all the time someone dying causes land matters, but it also feels like that's the only time it becomes an issue. So let us first talk about wills and what the Caribbean community should be doing to get into the habit or understand the importance of creating a will. And let's let's actually address some of the misconceptions around a will. So let's start there. Oh, thank you. Let's talk about some of the misconceptions with the will. Before I do that, Carrie, uh, if you don't mind, I just want to state that nothing in this podcast should be communicated as legal advice. Nothing in here forms an attorney-client relationship. If you have specific questions about your specific matter, 
you please contact us and I will go ahead and provide our contact information towards the end or your own attorney. So that said, uh, let's talk about some of the myths um, around estate planning. Myth number one, writing a will, doing an estate plan will in no way, shape or form accelerate your death. You will not die because you created the will. I have seen this, I'm practice is my area of law. It does not happen. That's one thing. Um, and I say this because oftentimes I have, not, not myself, but I'll have clients come to me. They're trying to get their, their elderly parent, mom or dad to write a will. And the parent immediately says, are you trying to kill me? Do you, you want to get the house before I die? You know, that, that sort of thing. That's number one. The other thing around um, wills is, and depending on the country you're talking about, there are some some countries that when you write the will, there are certain people within your family that you cannot write out of a will, right? They inherit regardless of what you write. And for some countries, that's a spouse, like the jurisdiction like New York. And in other jurisdictions, you can't disinherit a child. Again, nothing here is legal advice, but um, feel free to give us a call and we'll talk about your specific situation. So I'm only mentioning it here to say that there shouldn't be a belief that if you're writing a will, if someone wrote the will, they're trying to disinherit someone, right? That's not necessarily the case. The other thing is that wills or, or creating an estate plan, it does not have to be as expensive as one might believe. I think that is a um, a huge hurdle, mental hurdle, in seeing an attorney and having an estate plan put to paper, um, it's absolutely something that should never, should not be avoided. It should absolutely, you know, be prioritized. And I'll say this, my firm and, and, and the company does quite a bit of what's called estate administration. Estate administration is a process offered to the loved ones of a deceased person who has not done a will. Unfortunately, we see a lot more estate administration than we do wills because you know, our community, there just isn't a lot of estate planning. So we're often forced to do, go through the administration process. That is expensive. It is also time consuming. Now I mentioned this to say, cause I deal with grieving families, right? So in many cases, my clients are the surviving loved ones of someone who died. They're dealing with trying to put affairs like um, a funeral together Hopefully they're not trying to do it from another country because again, I'll let Carrie talk a little bit about what that experience is like. So trying to do it from a foreign country is also extremely difficult. They're dealing with that. They themselves are grieving. And then oftentimes, unfortunately, fighting almost immediately starts when someone dies. So amidst all of that, right? Some of those things we can help with, some of the things we can't, right? Family dynamic is not something we (laughs) specialize in. Um, But amidst all of that, you want to avoid having to also deal with unnecessary paperwork, right? If you have an attorney involved um, prior to, right, death is inevitable, everyone. I hope that's not a newsflash for everyone. Um, If you have an attorney who you've been working with and someone dies unexpectedly, you have someone that you can almost sort of just sort of throw the ball to. They know exactly what to do. They're already in your family dynamics. You've put things in place. And they can take a huge burden off of you while you focus on, you know, the the emotional aspect of things. Um, So it is something I I absolutely encourage every single person to do. 
and to please uh, consult an attorney before you do so. You said something that, I mean, people might experience it, but you put a name to it. The idea of writing a will is confronting your mortality. And that's a fear, right? That that gives anxiety. And he's like, you you don't want to deal with this. You don't want to confront that one day you're going dead, even though you know it. The (laughs) act of doing something towards it makes you want to, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to deal with this. One of my first encounters with the wills when my great grandmother passed away and she lived in Canada and every winter she came to Jamaica or she went to Jamaica because of course it's cold for her. She's, she was up in age. So, you know, she packed our multiple barrels, send them to Jamaica (laughs) because she was going to be in Jamaica until it warm up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she so happened to pass away during one of those winter December trips. So she passed away in Jamaica. She had a will and she had nine kids plus wow. 20 grandkids and great grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, myself included. My grandmother's one of her nine, but she had a will. And, you know, there were some disagreements about what should be happening as always, even though in my mind, I was like, my my family peaceful. We're not those people. But, <laughs> but there was a disagreement about yes. who should get something. And right. I don't know if it's the grief or the emotion that's taking over, but something very primal happens in that period. And so a will, you know, is important. And only because I worked in legal, so I know this other part. <laughs> it's important because... You don't want people to say, oh, you forced mama to write the will. Exactly. And and, and convince exactly. her to push me out or give you more of this or give you more of that. And so I think having an attorney is a neutral party and the attorney is going to assess if you're in your right state of mind and all these other things, right? Yes. Yes. You don't want to, I mean, I guess you can rewrite a will if you're upset, but a good attorney may not want to, <laughs> to say that's the best decision to make. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about, you know, for anyone listening, how they could go about making the first step, getting over that anxiety around confronting this mortality. What's the the first step that you can do that maybe is committed, but non-committed that you can do? Maybe sure. it's calling you or something. I don't know. Um, it might be your first step uh, calling the attorney. I think um, for some folks, getting over it or getting to that place mentally is a first step. And here, here's what I would say to someone. If they're not going to call an attorney, they're not going to do a will. At the very least, gather your documents. Gather your documents, have them in an, an envelope, Right. One of the things I give to um, my clients is a form that writes out the names of persons that you, only you know, means that if um, something happened to you, I don't know, for example, who you deal with at the bank, but the person at the bank knows your affairs. um, They know you, right? So if you give me that, you write down that point person, I come and I say, hey, I'm Carrie Ann's sister. Now that banker has knowledge that I don't have. And you, unfortunately, Carrie may be incapacitated, unable to speak. Um, They can help. They can help and guide, right? So I have a form. You write down things like your banker, the person you deal with, their insurance company, um, the person who holds forms, you know, people that you deal with that your friends and family don't know that you deal with. And these are the business 
partners, so to speak. Each each of us has a team, right? Um, your affairs should be in order, best you can, in an envelope, right? All together. Um, if you have a safe deposit box, that's also very helpful. Um, account numbers or oftentimes when people come to me, they don't even know where their mom had money, right? So even if you're not going to get all of that in a succinct document like a will or trust, if you wrote it down on a piece of paper um, so that if something happens to you, uh, your family then knows at least where to start, it's extremely helpful to us once we get involved when I think about important documents, people tend to will have will have an envelope, but it'll have things like their birth certificate, a passport, their permanent resident card, or their naturalization certificate, things like that. But they don't think about putting those things in an envelope like that um, that others don't know or don't have access to. It's their internal knowledge, right? You, and then we we forget that if something happens to us, not just death, but incapacity, right? As we age. We forget things that other people don't know that, right? You could potentially die with that information that others need. Something else I recently started adding, um, well, lawyers uh, started adding to estate plans are passwords, passwords and access to your digital devices. I write into wills. If something happens to me, my daughter, you know, if she has to go to T-Mobile or <laughs> wherever, she is permitted, I give her access to whatever, all of my information. That's extremely helpful if, if something happens to you, because we can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together if for some reason you did not leave an estate plan. So that's the first step. Step two, which really should be step one, speak with an attorney, <laughs> someone like myself. Um, and I think think what's important for our community in coordinating with a firm like mine or a company like Caribbean Legal Solutions is that we understand the nuances of doing estate planning across borders. So I don't necessarily write a New York will to dispose of property in Grenada, right? I know that I need to do a consultation with my Grenadian counterpart to figure out the best way to dispose of that property if someone dies. Because what we don't want is to have someone write a will based in New York law, probate that will in the New York court, and then take that document to Grenada and try to get the property that's left. It's just, there are better ways to do it. Let's say that. Yes, yes, yes. As you were talking, I, I, I was so glad you got to the digital part because when my little brother used to work at the Apple store, he would mm -hmm. say that people would come to the Apple store to try to mm -hmm. get a device open, the laptops mm -hmm. open, mm -hmm. because of the death of a family member. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, you know, family members have access. You know, I have access to my mom's account. Um, <laughs> but the other point that you said is that we keep everything in our head and we take yeah. it's, it because it's so second nature and knowledge mm -hmm. we're not thinking of it as anything and i used to think like oh people have unclear money with the government i want my <laughs> money right and i met the government keep my money but as i get older i'm like it's easy to see how the government have unclear money you forget that you, you forget. had money, you had money there so mm -hmm. that's the number one thing you forget and it's not intentional you feel you take for granted that you remember everything and i think that is like the simplest and one of the best advice, like gather everything. Gather like, everything. As you're saying, I was like, wait, 
I think I had a bonds, a saving bond yes. years ago. We would I, never be able to find that if oh my were not gosh. around. <laughs> we would have no record of it. And and not only that, the savings bond issued by the U.S. government, it is hard to get into that account. Like it had like mm-hmm. 10 layers just yes. to try to log into the account. So mm-hmm. that is such a good point, everyone. Listen. I know we're talking about wills and I know land matters don't only exist around death. Um I'll get to a question later but you know fortunately for myself my cousins and I weren't squabbling so they were able to handle some things like coordinate and my brother right. and I took care of what we had to take care of but it was still hard even though we didn't have that. I was just like this is rough. And not <laughs> only that just the banking across borders is mm-hmm. is a whole different beast. All right? The verifications, you know, oh, yeah. the, you know, for us in the US, we're like, why the bank can't just do this and in the Caribbean they're like, no, we need it snail mail, you know. Right. Do right. this. So <laughs> that brings me to um another point I wanted to bring up. So oftentimes one of the ways I get people to do and commit to an estate plan is that even if a person can't mentally deal with the their mortality they can often deal with the fact that one day they are going to get old and forget things or that something could happen to them a tragic accident that leaves them you know without an arm without vision without it does happen right for some reason being hurt <laughs> is more realistic, right? Um, Advanced directives is something I want to talk to your audience about. And we probably know about advanced directives, but we probably don't know that's what they're called. A power of attorney is something I recommend for every single person above the age of 18. It is a document that allows someone else to act on your behalf in the event that you are unable to, or if you just don't want to. For our community, it becomes especially important because we we almost exist in two worlds, right? We are here in the United States or we're in Canada or we're in, in the UK. And then we have affairs like a bank account or retirement or land in the Caribbean. So I um, encourage my clients to appoint someone now while you're young and coherent and sober-minded in that foreign jurisdiction where you may not necessarily be able to travel to handle your affairs. And there are ways in which you can do it to limit it so that, you know, people are often sort of, oh, someone's going to steal my money. The very person they're trusting, their cousin or something may steal their money. So there are ways in which you can limit it. But why it's um, of value for Caribbean jurisdictions is that unlike power of attorneys within, let's say, New York, in a Caribbean country, the power of attorney is filed with the court. Right. It's on record there that it exists. So it holds a little bit more weight when you're trying to access like a banking institution and you have this document that says Carrie has given me authority to transact on her account, Um, especially when we're having like, you know, elderly folks. Right. Like Carrie gave the example of an older grandmother who lived in Canada. What if something needed to be done for her in Jamaica and she's now 86, you know, traveling there isn't as, you know, feasible for her. Um, Having had a person appointed in advance to take care of something um, is of a great value. The other um, advanced directive I would recommend for every single person is a healthcare proxy. You assign someone to speak on your behalf in the event that you are unable to to speak. Again, think of uh, tragic car accidents. They happen all the time, unfortunately. Um, 
uh, and someone to make a decision. This is the person that will speak to your healthcare professional, um, to whom your healthcare professional will take instructions. Um, if you don't put it in place, there's a default sort of uh, familiar chart that it goes through, right? If you're married, the doctors take instructions from your spouse. If your spouse is unavailable, the doctors take instructions from your adult siblings and then adult children and so on and so forth. What happens is that many people, their default person is not the person they want to communicating to the doctor. Oftentimes when we select someone, when I, I tell people to think carefully about who you want as your healthcare proxy, remember that this person is making a decision in a high stress, sometimes highly emotional um, context. So you want to think about the person who can think clearly in that sort of context and appoint them now while you're feeling fine and put that on record with your healthcare professional, with your union, with your health insurance company. You want to do that now. So these are two key things um, our community can benefit from. I do a lot of work on the other side of it. Um, when I have clients that come to me with elderly parents who didn't put anything in place um, and they're forgetting things and they're or they are missing or, you know, they left the fire on or something and they're trying to get assistance for this elderly parent, but they're unable to do things like just get come in and make decisions for them, right? Until someone has been designated by the court that they're no longer able to make decisions, no one else takes decisions about them. The bank will only take instructions from an account holder, no one else. You can go into a bank and scream that your 85-year-old <laughs> parent should not be making these decisions. They'll give away their money you know, or something like that. They still will not listen to you. So <laughs> it's best to put these things in place sooner rather than later. And those are the two key advanced directives that we would recommend. Renee, thank you for that. But also, you know, when I was in paralegal school, the minute mm -hmm. I left the paralegal school, I had a will in place, you know, and yes. I was pretty young. Um, so I don't want us to all feel like we should do this for peer, elderly parents and grandparents, you know, no. you know, it, regardless, like you said, once you're over the age of 18, once you're working, once you have children, you yes. know, these are documents that should be in place. Yes. And it's it's very important. You know, my father was fairly young when he died in January. So, you know, it, it's not something that's limited for the old, you know, no, you know, no, it's young and anyone over the age of 18 as an adult should be thinking about their affairs in this way. So I want to shift a little bit because with land, you know, I know a lot of members of the audience, they're looking to go back to Jamaica or anywhere else in the Caribbean to live or to mm -hmm. work remotely, temporarily. Mm -hmm. Some people even want to buy land and they want to do all of that. Um, is that in some of the land matters that you handle? Lots of it. Beyond estate matters or land around when someone passes away our real estate, right? We have a lot of um, people based here in the United States who either own property or are looking to own property uh, in their home countries. So we get involved, um, if you're looking to purchase property or sell property, we get involved at the um, point of where there's a contract. Something that I, I want to mention that I think will be important for this audience um, is deed fraud. Um, if you are you know, looking to purchase property back home, I've just seen so many of these stories where a person is you know, 
purporting to be the owner of property somewhere in a Caribbean island and they're selling it. And this person who lives here has been sending money back home. They're paying for it in installments. Uh, when we get to uh, a certain point, we find that the person who was collecting this money doesn't own the property or that the property is somewhat embroiled. It's, it's sort of wrapped up into some other legal matter. One of the ways in which we can be helpful is producing a deed search, right? You want to have clear title before you enter into an agreement to purchase property and start sending money uh, to some person who claims that they own the property. So that's, that's important. We do a bit of that. And then we help once there's a contract between seller and buyer. Uh, that's the point at which we get involved. I think that's the number one concern. People mm-hmm. don't want to be defrauded. And that right. is the, the thing that they're most concerned about with anything, you know, doing across, you know, across borders. And right. because the Caribbean just operates very differently from the Americanized way of how we do things. We're, that's we're just, one word. Differently. Yes. yes. <laughs> we're terrified, you know, of it. You know, I, I say differently because it doesn't. It doesn't make sense for me to say it's wrong because right. they'll just they'll just look at me as like it's just because in America everything go fast you need to slow down they'll tell right. me that right so, <laughs> right I'll just say differently at this point but I really feel like the information you shared is just so valuable you know my brothers my husband they have the passwords you know what happens <laughs> I have this podcast you know what yes. happens if something happens to me you know can they right. log into my website. Can they, you know, do all these different things to effectuate like, okay, something's wrong with, you know, Carrie Ann. And yeah, you know, I don't want to think I'm going to pass next week, but, you know, it's also part of life. And it's very important to consider, you know, these options and alternatives. And like I said, when my father passed away, it was the number one thing I said to the audience if you have family still living in the Caribbean and you're caring for them back home, you have to have something in place, whether it's life insurance, whatever it mm-hmm. is, you're already paying medical bills or whatever it is, might as well right. get the legal documentation in place and continue the relationship with a professional that can help you navigate what happens when this person transitions. So. Right. Renee, I thank you so much for being on the podcast this year. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? I will just share with the audience. So if you or someone you know has a legal matter, whether it be here based in the United States or abroad, whether it be a legal matter that crosses more than one jurisdiction, uh, know that a company like ours is equipped and ready to help. Uh, we understand these issues. Um, we understand the nuances. And we have a full team in place to assist you beyond uh, just legal matters. People can feel free to reach out to us for questions, um, international burial questions, real estate questions, questions with respect to birth certificates and death certificates and those types of questions. Um, We're here to help. And we also work closely um, with some consulate offices based here in the United States to get folks the help that they need. Renee, thank you. So where can they find you? You can visit us on our website. We're at www.caribbeanlegalsolutions.com. You can contact us via phone at 718-887-6141 
or via WhatsApp because it's the Caribbean. So <laughs> feel free to contact us via WhatsApp and any of our social media handles. All right. Thank you so much, Renee. I mean, okay. A good part of the conversation is about wills and deaths, but I I just love when we have as much information to make more informed decisions, you know? Yes. That is what we are trying to do. You know, I'm getting to the point where not only am I taking care of my kids, you know, you, you start having to take care of parents, yes. you know, and a lot of us are in that place or there are some segments of our audience that have their or parents are taking care of their, their parents or mm-hmm. grandparents. So- we are seeing these generational shifts in the management. So, you know, as as long as we're giving the audience to help another member of the family do what they need to do, I'm happy about that. So thank you for being on the podcast. And as I love to say at the end of every show, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.